This is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As uh, we always uh, open up, uh, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. Central Works is a new play theater with uh, Gary Graves and Jan Spiefler. I think uh, that's her name. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank them for sponsoring the Yay. Well, today we have a great guest, uh, Rebecca Ennolds, who is the artistic director of San Francisco Shakes. Rebecca, how are you? I'm all, as we were saying, I'm all right. It's been a week. <laughs> Every week is just, yeah, yeah. 2020. More what and can more. We say? More yeah, and more. It, it's, it's been really, really crazy. I mean, just this week. I mean, we'll get into current events eventually, but um, we're so happy to have you on. And um, how are you doing? And how is, I mean, just briefly, how is San Francisco Shakes doing? I mean, amid COVID-19. Well, I mean, I would say it's, there's no question it's been challenging as, you know, for everyone, the arts sector is really suffering and artists are largely unemployed, but I'm grateful to be working with a company that is producing because we are doing this really big online virtual production of King Lear, uh, directed by Elizabeth Carter, and it has been a constant source of fulfillment and joy and thoughtful reflection on the state of the world because it's King Lear and mm. it's kind of the right play to be doing right now. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's epically tragic and it has, it, it's really talks a lot about our, our failures as a, as a human race in some ways. So it's uh, our, our worst tendencies as well as our best tendencies. So it is the play to be doing. Mm. Right yeah, now. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, I, I really do think we need to have more drama, especially dealing with tragedy, especially when we oh, yeah. have so much adversity. If we can see on the theater how people, you know, deal with tragedy, I think it helps us, you know, say, oh, wait, okay, that's how, or that's the way to deal with it, or that's the way not to deal with it. But as I begin each uh, podcast, Norman, how was your week? Uh, full, <laughs> in a word. <laughs> I, um, I just finished up a round of standardized patient work, and we went... We were called at 8.45 and we went, uh, we were scheduled till five and we many days got very close to that. These interviews with medical students, I'm trying to figure out what condition my patient had. And when you have the same conversation eight times in a day, <laughs> that's six, seven and eight, you're like, did they ask about my legs? Did we talk about my smoking? I, I can't remember because each time we have to do a little checklist. And it's a, it's sort of a game of, it's a little bit of hide and seek. <laughs> they have to, if they don't ask about the smoking, I can't mention the smoking. If they don't ask about the, <coughs> <coughs> if they don't ask what that is, I can't say the word cough. I, I cannot say it. Oh, interesting. So I'm sitting there coughing and coughing and coughing. And one guy, I got almost to the end of the interview before he said, and how, how long has that cough been going on? <laughs> Wow, at the very end. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, just it's, so it's been a trip. And the weirdest thing about stand, being a standardized patient is you learned all these symptoms. So you start going, oh, I had night sweats last night. Does that mean I have cancer? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's bizarre. No, it's interesting when you- No, that's been my full week and it's been making me pass out. And I tried initially to do, I got new exercises from my physical therapist. I was trying to do them. I was doing them for a couple of days, and then I would do what I could while I was on break on camera, 
And one night I did it afterwards and I fell asleep. I was on the ground. I was doing these little tucks and I laid down <laughs> and I woke up later. I was like, okay, I can't do this. So I'm grateful. I am done with that. Next week, I got nothing. <laughs> right on. No, when you talk about the, uh, the, the standardized patients, it, it reminds me that millennials, you know, the newer generation are our new doctors and, you know, we'll be taking care yeah. of us. And I wonder how much are they paying attention to, you know, just, you know, their patients, you know, asking. Oh, they, I would say my, my experience is mostly they are incredible because they're learning simple things. Just asking you how you are. Oh, where do you live? Well, how is that? Oh, you work at such and such. I know where that is. You know, just these little details by bringing that sort of personal side to it and then listening every time you answer something and it looks like there's any feeling connected to it, which is fun. I didn't know my mother's name. Nobody asked me all week. And finally, two days ago, a guy was like, oh, so because my, my mom died a couple of years ago, right? Um, so what's your mother's name? Ah, uh, Mary. <laughs> Mary. I miss her. Yeah. And I did. As soon as I said it, I felt it. And, I, and he got quiet. <laughs> and I was like, and so when the feedback, I said, that that moment is exactly what we're looking for, that you pay attention to people. Don't just look at your checklist and, you know, worry about the disease. Actually deal with the people. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, you just mentioned mom. One of our best friends, Linda Amayo Hassan, she yes. passed away. And we want to, um, you know, just, um, I, I wrote a little thing on Facebook saying that, you know, um, you know, her heart's our prayers and, you know, our thoughts are with her. Uh, I remember when yeah. we were doing, um, uh, it was the Lisa Kong thing. Um, oh, shucks. My, my, Emeryville, the Emeryville Har, the Emeryville Har. But it was at the Potrero stage, and uh, she, uh, Linda was just closing up Cheer, Story of a Dreamer. And we, mm. and we talked arbitrarily about her mom and her struggles. I think she had cancer, and um, oh. just spoke very lovingly of her. And so, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of deaths, uh, you know, this year. So I just want to. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we'll get into that, won't we? <laughs> yeah. Let's, Condolences, let's... though, for Linda, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we, let's get into current events. I mean, um, if it isn't the Republican National Convention, if it isn't uh, the individual who was shot, uh, Jacob Blake, in the back seven times and survived. Right. Uh, he's in the hospital right now. And then and last night, Chadwick Boseman, I mean, I'll just throw it out there, you know, what, what hits you and, you know, um, how are we feeling emotionally? Mm. How about you, Rebecca? Well, I have to say that the death of Chadwick Boseman, I, I, it just really hit me hard. I, I was, I mean, you know, because I don't know the guy and I don't really know any, I'm not friends with anyone who, close friends with anyone who knows him, but, but he's an actor and he's had a phenomenal brief career and it just felt like you know really really 2020 you got to take black panther what 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 else are we gonna have to bear here i mean everyone everyone's right. prayers need to go to ruth bader ginsburg if you're a praying person oh. nightly ruth bader oh. ginsburg man um but yes. uh yeah i everything is hitting hard it just felt like a little a little like sucker punch right at the end of a really tough week and yeah. You know, we're all sitting here. We can't breathe our air because the ongoing smoke in our air, right. and and we're like the theme of "I can't breathe" is just a constantly with us. And you know, thinking of of Jacob Blake, and I just really I found out he was 
handcuffed to his hospital bed. Right. I mean, yes. where is the humanity? Yeah. He's, he's paralyzed from the waist down, but we got to handcuff him. Where do you <laughs> he think he's going? Crawl out of here. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's it's disgusting, and uh, yeah, it's it's enraging and it's disgusting. And I I was I was fortunate to be able to do a little action hour with showing up for racial racial justice yesterday, and and that okay. that at least makes you feel like you're doing something. Um, how how did that go? It's 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 a lot of political action, um, and it was around several uh, uh, state assembly measures, including um, a measure fifteen. I'm probably mm -hmm. prop fifteen, and yep. some other measures around racial justice in the um, in the courts, and also around domestic uh, rights of domestic workers who have had to work through this uh, cleaning up after the, in this current mess around the fires with no oh. health care and no support. So we were doing a lot of, of calling representatives and emailing representatives and, um, and donating to a particular um, group, a particular nonprofit that is working on, on police reform. So it's just, it's political action. And, you know, I feel like we also need to do our work on being present for our friends and you know white folks like myself we need to do our work on not choking up and panicking and getting paralyzed by guilt and shame over the whole thing because it's yeah you know, I, i'm hating i'm hating that aspect of reporting right now and you know and i see it also on facebook and and on twitter that people are just disheartened it's it's frustrating to me i mean we've got months before the election there's so much we can do if we stay focused and the chadwick boseman thing I, I didn't know as much about his career as I know now, and I find it so uplifting. So I am sorry for him and his family, but I think the gift that he has given is only going to blossom now because people are going to go back and appreciate that body of work. And you said four years. I'm like, wow, I, I knew I barely knew him, but, you know, 43, what was the other one? Oh, um, the James Brown story? That's right, like, the James Brown story, yeah. Jeez. <clears throat> What an amazing talent. Yeah. And he did, I, mean, I, think, I, I think I read that he did a bunch of television stuff beforehand. It reminds me of, so, you know, we talked earlier in, in other episodes of BA where a lot of actors, they'll just toil and toil either on stage or doing like one, you know, one bit <clears throat> television shows and you don't know, you keep on chopping the proverbial tree. You never know where you're gonna break it big or whatever, if that's your goal. Right. And he reminds me of someone who, kept his chops up he kept on working and working and working yeah. and all of a sudden boom you know he hits it or you know he's cast in a big film and all you know his career sort of blossoms and also it you know just acting in pain or playing in pain I mean there have been times where I've had to go on stage and I've had a cold or let's say mm. I busted my knee or something like that and I'm like okay the show has to go on and you talk about the ultimate sacrifice he's a guy who battled colon cancer at a very young age I mean that scares me um yeah, I'm so no, glad it, I've had two colon cancer tests and I'm negative, but you know, you worry about that. But playing through pain, I mean, wow. I mean, yeah, it's powerful. Joy Me posted um, a wonderful, she was just reposting for somebody on Facebook um, that apparently he had written a play when he was in Chicago. And this guy said, I saw it when I was a freshman. Does anybody know where that play is? Wow. And so they're trying to, and I'm like, wow, again, you know, that this talent is just continuing to give. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear yeah. about it. Oh, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah. that gives me that, that you get, like you said, there's a legacy when you, when you get to put that work 
into some form. I mean, theater's so hard, right? Because it, it, it goes away. Um, but if you have a play or you have a film and you have that legacy, it's, yeah. we, are, we are fortunate to have that. No, yeah. it's amazing. And you never know who you're going to touch. You know, you're mm -hmm. out there and you're like, oh, I don't even know who's going to watch it. You never know. You never know. I didn't even think, though, about the wildfires. I forgot. With your list, I was like, oh, yeah. And we literally can't go outside. Yeah. We yeah. had a couple of beautiful, clear days. And we we're like, oh, maybe it's over. And then yesterday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We had last weekend, we had four actors in King Lear who were all on, not actors, they were company members, some were crew, um, all on potential evacuation. So we were like, well, oh. at some point in the show, people might have to get up and go. We right. might not have a show anymore because they might get the call. So we didn't, fortunately. We made it through the weekend and none of them, they have, they have all yet to be evacuated and, and some of those warnings have been lifted. But it's, Right. No, they, they seem like they're getting a handle on it, but it's still massive. It's huge. Yeah. 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 Even the smoke. I mean, I work in, uh, I work for the district attorney's office and we have a building on Rhode Island Street, uh, which is uh, very close to Portero Hills. And mm the smoke was getting inside the building. I've heard some of my coworkers saying, wow, oh. I can't even breathe inside. And of yeah. course, we're all wearing masks inside. It's gotten so bad that you can be docked or fined, uh, you know, at our office. If you don't wear, you have your mask. Cause you know, we haven't, we're, we're not, I'm keep on watching, I keep on uploading the, um, when Gavin Newsom and uh, the state of California, they talk about what cities or what counties are right. okay to open or whatever. I keep on mm -hmm. saying, oh, man, I hope our numbers are down. I hope our numbers are down. And it's not down enough, at least no. San Francisco or Alameda. I think San Francisco's doing better. We are. We're doing pretty okay in San Francisco. I, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, school is still, my kids are in, my, my, my older kid is in the SFUSD, and we're, it's all remote still, but there's these little glimmers of hope that we might get some outdoor classroom work soon. Yeah, let's hope so. So one mm -hmm. last question before we get into an origin. Go, go ahead. And I, have, and I also have one last one. I have a one positive one, so I'll end with that. Go with, go with what you got. Oh, go with what you got? No, you go. You said you had oh, one more, got, and I've got a positive one. I'm just going to ask one final question because, you know, there have been people who have said, you know, there have been riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And um, strategists have said that, you know, this may help the Trump campaign because it's all about fear. Right. And people are echoing 1968, where, you know, after King died, there were so many riots that a lot of conservative people just voted Nixon in. And I'm a little worried about that. I'm worried that. You know, the, the protesting or, let's, you know, the, the few folks who are rioting. And also the young kid, I mean, the 17-year-old kid that opened fire, white supremacist. I mean, that yeah. broke my mind. Um, yeah. How confident are you feeling, Rebecca, about the, the upcoming election? Are you worried? Are you optimistic? How do you feel? Well, I, I watched the DN, I watched large parts of the DNC, not the entire thing, but I, I actually was really uplifted by it and inspired and felt really good coming out of it. Um, yeah. I was also like, Biden did a really, he, he stuck the landing. He did a really good job on that last speech. Good for him, because I've been a little anxious yeah. about Biden. I'm, many, I'm sure many of us have been. I was not, an, not originally supporting him. Um, but I felt positive and I felt like, we're going to get it. We're going to win this thing. And then I haven't really had the you know i can't stomach the rnc i've, I've watched clips and i've i've read bits and oh, yeah. on top of the riots in kenosha i am anxious that that white folks are going to let this false idea that black people are dangerous are gonna they're, they're gonna let that take over because it's so ingrained yeah. and it's it's so it's 
so I do, I, I, I support, I, protesting is so important. It's, it, has, it has moved things this year. We've seen what it can do. But I also see the point that there's this anxiety that, that it, will, it, it will also help the other side. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's conflict. I'm conflicted about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely scary. I, that's one of the things I was complaining about though. So there's the reporting seems to be leaning in that direction. And I'm like, I know that sexy headline stuff, but come mm -hmm. on y'all. Is there really a choice? <laughs> right. Is there really a choice? Yeah. Norman did, uh, did the Republican, did the Republican national convention, did it remind you of triumph of the will? I mean, <laughs> ha! I think that's what they were aiming for, but it, no, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of The Apprentice or The Bachelor, you know, the stupid Melania, oh, stupid entrance for her speech, the cameras going everywhere and then the long hallway and then she's walking and then cut to another shot and then she comes up and that speech was horrible. I mean, it was just so boilerplate. Yes, this, no, that, blah, 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 be, be best. Oh God! And, and that was the only thing I could watch. I, I, I didn't watch the whole thing that night. I just wanted to see her speech. I saw the speech and I was like, okay, I am so not worried about you guys pulling off anything with this. Your base is eating this up. Everybody else has to be horrified because you're not pointing to a single thing that this president isn't failing on. Everything that you're complaining about and, and threatening, oh, it's going to get bad. No, all those things are bad right now because of this president. So, yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I wanted to try and see his speech and everything I read about it just made me go, no, I, I better just read about it and be content because, <laughs> eh. Yep. But on a positive yeah. note. Yes, go for it. Today is National Play Music on the Porch Day. And so after we finish, I'm going to go run up the street. Uh, my neighbor put up these cute little flyers. Maybe I'll throw one up on the uh, yay. Um, this cute little, it looks like they, you know, they colored this little thing and then they got it printed really nicely. So it looks like it's cartoon, you know, like crayon. <laughs> and it's inviting everybody to come out. So we're all going to go stand out around the corner <laughs> and they're going to play on their porch. Wow, that's cool. Very, and then maybe we'll do a little when we get home if the air's not bad. Right on. That's great. And with that, uh, let's introduce uh, Rebecca Ennels, and um, you're the artistic director of SF Shakes. Norman, I should really have you drive uh, this interview because uh, you yeah. brought her on. Well, so we always do an origin story. We ask how you, you know, how you got your start and how you got into theater. Um, but I, this is, um, thank you, Reg, for, for allowing me to, to play with this idea of what I'm calling a bad summit. Bay Area directors, I want to talk mm -hmm. to folks about how they got to do what they do, what they see is going on. And, and this was actually inspired by um, something I did like 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, which was the East Bay Theater Summit. When Oakland Public Theater started, I had gotten a residency at Mills College. And I'm like, I've got this big, beautiful space and I'm just starting a theater company. What do I, what should I be doing? And it wasn't like I was asking for anybody to point me in direction. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't recreating the wheel. I wanted mm -hmm. to figure out what it was I thought I had to bring to it and what other people were doing and how we could combine our efforts. Because the, the thing that has always bothered me, one of the things that has always bothered me about Bay Area theater is it's all these little fiefdoms. Everybody mm -hmm. has their own little thing. 
and they act as if nobody else exists. They act as if they're in competition. And so there were two things that came out of the East Bay Theater Summit that I thought were important. I said, I feel like if I'm working with an actor and they're going to do a show at your theater next, I'm going to put that in my program. Because once you get my program, I've got your money. I'm not getting any more money from you. <laughs> but if you see that I'm connected to, or the people that you like on my stage are connected to other theaters, you're going to feel like, oh, this is, you are a part of a scene. I'm a part of a scene. We are a part of a scene. So that was one that I've seen now in a bunch of programs that didn't used to happen. I'm like so thrilled. And the other one is simply the same, with the same logic. My show is now, if I'm producing two shows a year, there's easily six months where I'm not going to see these people. But I know the other little theaters around are doing things, and they're folks that are doing stuff that I like, <laughs> that I want to broadcast. So I'm going to put that in my program. And I feel like I see a lot more of that now than, than, and in fact, I still get messages from people now saying, you know, we're just getting ready to put on our program. What are you up to? I'm like, hmm. Yes, thank you. Put that in your program. So I didn't know that any of that would come out of it. I was just wanting to brainstorm. And I feel like that's what this is, is by, you know, let's start with an origin story, how you got into theater, how you got to, I'm really curious about how you got to San Francisco State. I mean, shakes. <laughs> oh, I st well, I started doing theater when I was in kindergarten. I grew wow. up, yeah, I grew up in Cupertino in the South Bay. Uh, my parents are immigrants from England. Um, English culture sort of famously has quite a lot of playwrights in it. And I was your first generation? I am, well, I, I was born in uh, at Stanford um, Hospital, but my parents, came here a little before I was born. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I spent a lot of childhood going back and forth. So um, I, I have a very strong cultural identity with the English. And uh, I was exposed to some Oscar Wilde and some Shakespeare pretty, pretty early on. And, and, you know, just had a sort of affinity with theater. And then I started doing drama classes and, um, by the time I was 12, I, I did a professional gig at the, the California Theater Center in Sunnyvale, where I had done quite a lot of my classes. They are, they have sadly closed, an RIP oh. California Theater Center. They closed just a couple of years ago. Um, but that was the wonderful children's theater, kind of like BACT is, is now, and they really, oh, they, yay. they are amazing. Shout out to them. But uh, yeah, I, I, that, that just kind of stuck with me. I think my parents wondered if eventually theater was going to fall off the, my uh, personal agenda, but it never did. Through, through high school, I did a lot of theater. I, I founded the, the, the theater club, the drama club at my school. Oh. It didn't have a drama club. So wow. as a freshman, I said, we should have a drama club. And then we started producing shows. So I had that little producer director thing going on pretty early on. Mm -hmm. um, and then I... In college, I decided I was trying to be sensible. So, you know, I had, I decided to declare an English major, which was, I don't know, not very sensible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more sensible than a theater major, but that lasted about, you know, three or four weeks. Once I got to college, I, uh, I switched over to theater and I, I got a degree in theater and then I went and got an MFA at UC Davis. Um, and then went and lived in Chicago for a while, right after graduation from, from uh, grad school. Um, How was Chicago? I love Chicago. I really do. I, I could, I really couldn't take the weather very well, but right. I love the theater in Chicago. I love the scene. I love the people. Um, 
I think it's an incredible city. I, I, I actually... did a short visit and didn't get to deal with any of the theater, but oh, saw, um, you know, saw little places and you'd see their, their posters in the windows. And I was like, I was, I was read about Chicago theater. It was nice to at least see where it was physically. Yeah, it does have a, it has a real sort of culture of its own. And um, people talk about theater in Chicago. It's kind of like London. People actually sit down, you sitting in a restaurant, and people talking about theater. And they're mm. not even just talking about the big theaters, they're talking about the little theaters. You know, you should go to this little storefront and see this thing. Um, mm. I think on the downside, it's a pretty patriarchal and macho theater community. Yeah. I always joked that like, if there wasn't a production of True West going on somewhere at every moment in Chicago, then it was a really weird day. Mm -hmm. There's always a production of True West going on somewhere. Um, or Mammoth, and, I'm sure. Oh, it's, yeah, and Mammoth, tons of Mammoth. So, yeah, it was it was a, a very sexist place in many ways. And the other challenge with it is, it is, like, non-equity actors just don't get paid at all in Chicago. There's just an assumption that you're volunteering. Mm -hmm. um, so, I did find some paid gigs, but they were mostly doing educational work. So, I, I did a lot mm -hmm. of educational theater. And then eventually, I... I um, came back, I had been traveling back in the summers to work with the Napa Valley Shakespeare Festival, another company mm. that's no longer around, but I had done some work right upon graduation with them and I became their production manager and they hired me to do that. And my first and last season was the um, 2000 and it was, uh, it was the season that culminated with 9-11. And oh, then, yeah, and unfortunately 9-11 kind of made a you know was right on top of the end of our season and we were doing our town at the time which is actually a beautiful play to be doing during oh, that wow. period <clears throat> right but it, it it our attendance uh we barely sold any tickets because it was mostly relied on tourism and tourism was was gone oh, so, wow. mm -hmm. yeah and after that i i i i kind of lost my job you know there was no more money for to, to have a paid employee as a production manager and it was a very very small company and mm -hmm. I got on a plane and said, I'm going to go to New Zealand because it's really cheap to fly right now. And I went to New Zealand for three uh -huh. weeks and, uh -huh. <laughs> um, because I'd always wanted to go. And I had a friend who wanted to go too. So we went and, and had a great, amazing time and came back to my, I remember my apartment. I, I didn't really own much furniture. So my apartment was like a mattress on the floor and a, an answering machine. Remember those uh -huh. on, a, on the floor? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back and my answering machine was blinking. And this was this was the end of two thousand one, and and I think it was it was November, and my answering machine was blinking, and I hit a button, and it was it was an old friend who was a, a technical director, and he said, "Hey, San Francisco Shakespeare, I know you're looking for a job, and San Francisco Shakespeare Festival is hiring like a marketing position. I don't know if you'd want to do that, but you know, I know you're looking for a job." Mm -hmm. So I had done a little bit of because I was I was living in Napa, so. Right. The, I, my, my pay as a production manager was very part-time and very low. So I was doing some work, sort of a temp job um, with a winery PR firm. And I had a little teeny, teeny, teeny bit of experience with PR and marketing. And right. so I managed, but I had a couple of impressive accounts that I could sort of claim that I had participated in. And so I came in and I interviewed with SF Shakes and I got the job. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I got the job. Um, and then I actually, our, our education director was Victoria Evans Irville, still a friend. Oh, yeah. And um, she, in the next year, I think it was about, after I'd been there for about a year, she actually, she transitioned out to, to a new position elsewhere. And, and I ended up taking over the education stuff. And that was way more in my real ballpark. So uh -huh. that's what I did for a long time. This was all 
this is my 19th season with SF Shake. So this is all, you know, I started in February of 2002. So it's been a long, a long time. And I've done a lot of different jobs there. I've done a lot of, I've got a finger oh, in everything along the way. And, you know, eventually became the artistic director. We had no artistic director when I came in. So. Well, that's, and that's, what I was going to ask. So you came in after Charlie? I came in at, Charlie hired me. So okay. he was the producing artistic director when I came in. Um, but he wasn't a he wasn't an artistic director who directed. Right. He he produced, but he right. didn't ever direct. He hired in the directors, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and then and then Charlie had some some pretty serious mental health challenges and, oh, and yeah. left us. In I think it was during my second year there, he he left us, and and sadly a few about seven years later he passed away in the streets. Um, yeah, no, I I bumped into him over here, and um, we actually visited a couple of times while he was living on the streets. I was, yeah, yeah, he would we would see him, and he would whenever our van our tour van was driving around, he would come up and introduce himself to the to the tour cast, which was which mm -hmm. is pretty sweet. Like you say, I bought that van, which is true. He had. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's now, interesting. I remember, those, I remember those times because, yeah, didn't know what was going to happen with him. The organization at that point was fairly well established, but you start wondering how powerful, how much that one person might mean to an organization. So it was interesting to see the transition, you know, from my perspective to see a new because Rebecca didn't know this. We, we worked together last summer and mm -hmm. Rebecca didn't know this when she hired me, but I had worked with SF Shakes way back in the day. And so I've bef definitely been watching them all this time and wondering what was going on. So it was nice to see that transition, you know, to see the Phoenix rise, to see the organization continue. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, I think it was a, a rocky little period in the middle, but we had actually started working with Ken Kelleher at the time that Charlie left. And, right. and Ken provided a certain amount of stability as a resident. He wasn't an artistic director, but he was the guy who always directed Free Shakespeare in the Park for a while. And that gave right. it some stability. While, and then Toby Levitt, who is still our executive director, took over as executive director. She had been the managing director and sharing the executive power with, with Charlie. And then she, she just took on the full executive director position, so she, she still has. But yeah, the, is Charlie still around? I mean, where is he gone? No, no, Charlie died. Yeah, he passed away sadly. We had a beautiful. He was on the street for years and um, seven years, yeah. And just wasn't. I don't know. I mean, we talked. We talked a bit. He was he was very forthcoming about his situation, but he just didn't seem to see a way out of where where he was and what he was doing. Yeah, he had, um, I, 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 I don't know what if he had an official diagnosis, but it appeared that he had some challenges but with either bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Right. He, he was hearing voices and seeing things that weren't there and, and he was self-medicating. So there was a lot of, yeah. of addiction going on, but it is, and he, he knew, you know, what, what his closest friends have always said is that he knew, he knew what his, he made a choice and he actually chose to live the way that he did and yeah. as we were all just feeling horrible and horrible during the memorial we had a beautiful memorial in golden gate park with in the field we used to do free shakes at you know you remember that field probably yes Norman. yeah yeah bunny meadow and we had a beautiful memorial and all the actors you know from so many years <laughs> so many people came and and um a close friend reminded us that like you know charlie lived life on his terms and um he wouldn't yeah. want your pity right and and that that was that i've tried to think about that you know that that for him that he looked at his choices and, and he had other choices. He was offered other choices and, and he did make that choice. And it's interesting. I mean, it took us a long time to really even talk about Charlie as an organization. It was something, it was a, it was a painful subject I think, yeah. for, for a while, but, 
but now we're quite openly, we, we talk about him and his legacy. And, and you know, one of the things that matters to me a lot is that starting with As You Like It, that you were in, Norman, mm -hmm. we began to work with organizations throughout San Francisco that serve our neighbors experiencing homelessness. And it was, yeah, that was amazing. Uh, we had a liaison, was that the official? Yeah, a, 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 cultural, a cultural consultant, basically. Cultural yeah. consultant, um, and who was wonderful. And we are still in touch. Yeah, yeah, and, Jade's uh, great. Yeah, um, but I had had a couple of friends and Charlie was, I consider him one, who were homeless and I was like, I'm not going to let go of my friendship. I don't know how to manage this, but, and it's funny, with bo in both cases, I was like, you can come to my house and have a shower if you want. And they would take me up on that. And I was like, okay, I feel weird. You know, I don't know what else to do, but I also came to respect that people make choices and one friend was, he was on the streets for, well, on the streets, he was homeless for a couple of years, mostly living out of his car, um, and then decided he was ready to get a regular job and get a place to stay. And, and I think it was those friendships that helped him to continue and move forward, move through that period. With Charlie, I felt like, because I had so much respect for him, I was curious. I was like, what happened? What's going on? And he, like I said, he was forthcoming about it, but I realized I had to be, I could hold on to that respect. Mm -hmm. I could respect him trying to make decisions about what he wanted to do with his life. Yeah. It's hard. Cause I think, you know, that's, that's specifically Charlie, right? There are people who would really desperately love to have a shel have shelter and, yeah. and be housed. And then there are people, you know, people are different and we can't make assumptions. It's an incredibly, uh, there's an incredibly diverse group of people who are unhoused and we can't make assumptions about any of them. But, you know, in Charlie's case, this was, this was something he chose to do. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I hope we can tell more, more of those sorts of stories. Cause I, I think those are fascinating, but yeah. so you get into the company and suddenly you're making your way up through the ranks. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I love education work. I still do. I, I consider us to be a mostly educational company. I mean, even our main flagship free Shakespeare in the park show, the audience are often not, a typical sort of subscribery. Um, old, there's there's definitely an old white audience there, but there are often people who are like, "This is my one show a year," you know, or "This is my." You right. know, I have a couple of traditions, and Free Shakes is one of them. I try to see this show, and and so they're not necessarily the standard theater audience that we've that that really say like, "Well, I've got subscriptions at this many theaters," and blah blah blah. And a lot of that has to do. With, I mean, I, I really like it as a as a parent of young children. We're one of the few places that parents can say like I, I've, I love this I always see this in the park of the the young couple coming up looking really really underslept with the stroller and I look in the stroller and there's this tiny tiny little newborn and it's like oh they're out of the house for the first time right. <laughs> they have not gotten out of the house and now they're just coming to the park and they know they can stand and watch a little bit of the play and no judgment if they walk away after 15 minutes right like they're right. just gonna listen to a little bit they're gonna see how long the baby stays asleep they're gonna see what needs to happen if the baby needs to eat the mama can go and and sit somewhere and do that i have i had my baby my, i have two babies i had i had them in the park I had I had my second baby in rehearsal for Midsummer Night's Dream in 2018 every single day, um, so so I know that it's it's a space that where where we don't have to do the whole mm -hmm. sit still and in the dark and behave yourself thing. You know, it's 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 a different space. It's a we we hope it's a welcoming space, um, and we know it's a space with a lot of flexibility for those who who can't who can't experience theater in ways that are that are sit down at 8 p.m. and 
and uh, don't move until 1030. You know? Right. Well, I feel like you've, or the company has evolved in this time to be f very family friendly period. I mean, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the staff and the uh, actors, the talent, the designers and folks are people who have family. We saw lots of kids last summer. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's and a value. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention your partner. Where did you guys meet? Oh, Ryan Tasker is my fabulous partner. He's amazing. Can't imagine a better person to be um, stuck in a house with. <laughs> uh, so Ryan and I met in the lobby of Pear Avenue Theater in Mountain View. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, and we were introduced by Meredith Hagedorn and Diane Tasca, I believe, mm -hmm. the, two, the two artistic directors who were using that space at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, he was new to town. He had just come up from, so he's, he's from the San Bernardino area in, oh. in, in Southern California, mm -hmm. um, Inland Empire. And he had just moved up to the area and he was in a show there. I think he was in a, he was in the Carol Churchill play and it's escaping my memory. I didn't see the show, but I met uh -huh. him. And he was really nice, and I just remembered meeting him. And I was married at the time, so you know there was oh. nothing going on. Um, right. <laughs> and then later on, again, still married, I cast him as a replacement actor in a touring show of uh -huh. Two Gentlemen of Verona, and we met, you know, collegially. And then uh, and I called upon him to understudy or something. Again, he came back and understudied. But then I got I separated from my my ex, and I didn't know this, but he around the same time was separating from his long term partner. Uh, and I remember this because we were doing auditions for Henry V, which was our 30th anniversary show at SF Shakes. And mm -hmm. Ken Kelleher, I was doing the casting, and Ken Kelleher said, can you call Ryan Tasker? I hear he's good. And I was like, oh, I know that guy. So, you know, I was like, oh, he's an acquaintance. So I called him up, and he said, he said sort of subtly, I hear you've moved back into San Francisco. And I, I was roommates with Michael Barrett Austin at the time he ah, had offered okay. me I, when I was I had had to leave my living situation and I was staying mm -hmm. with my shout out to my dear friend Leticia Duarte she was giving me a place to stay for a little while but it was Wait. it was temporary mm -hmm. and and then uh, I, I needed to find something more permanent and Michael Barrett Austin was had, had lost a roommate and was looking for it and I'll never forget like the day that my my ex said I want a divorce I went, oh crap. And I got on the phone and said, Michael, do you still have that room? Cause I'm going to need somewhere to live. Right. Um, and so uh, this is turning into a very long story, but anyway, so, so I'm loving, I'm one of the things I think is huge in Bay area theater and doesn't happen up is these names and these connections. It's amazing. Oh, to hear yeah, this is our yeah, people, exactly. right? Isn't, they yeah, look my... after, we look after each other here. And I love that. I love that Leticia and was there for me when I just, I needed that. And she yeah, we... was, she was, I was so fortunate. And, and yeah, I, I ended up, you know, in that apartment. And then Ryan was like, I hear you're in San Francisco. Do you want to get together for coffee? And I went, hmm. And so that evolved into going to see a couple shows together and having a meal together. And we got to, you know, and then he offered to help. It was like Thanksgiving weekend. And I needed help moving out of my old place, my old apartment in San Mateo, where mm -hmm. the ex was going to be out of town. So it was the time. And he just like, he, we had barely reacquainted ourselves with each other. And he was like, I'll come and help. And he helped me move all this stuff. In this, and I was kind of a mess. So it was like very right. rough emotional time. So he really helped me move everything out along with some other, including Michael Barrett Austin and Rob Dario, some other good friends helped me out. Rob Dario's giant truck, which I could never survive without. Wow. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, and, and so we did that move and, and then we kind of went from there, kind of just, just kept going. And eventually Michael got married and moved out and uh, to his beautiful wife, Emily. And right. then we decided I had a roommate for a little while, a couple of roommates. And then we decided that we were going to 
give this moving in together thing a shot. Ah. And that was over, a, you know, well over a year later and, and uh, more than, yeah, was it two years later? Right around that time. And then we, and then we found out we were pregnant with our first child like the, the weekend that we, he was moving in. So, ah, wow. <laughs> so we, we, uh, it was really a actually incredibly joyful news. We didn't, we, we, we were hoping to, to have kids and we, I had been warned that at my age, it would take a while and it, it didn't take that long. So Damn. it was yeah. very, very joyful news. No, Ryan is somebody I didn't even know about until a few years ago. Um, we did a reading with word for word, uh, and I'd never even heard his name, but everybody was talking about him. And I was like, okay. And then, so we did, it was a George Saunders piece. Uh, it was actually George yeah. Saunders was doing the, um, what is it called? Um, like city, it's an inter radio interview show where they, um, they do it at the JCC. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I know the one yeah. you're talking about. City yeah. Arts and, Lux city arts arts and, and Lectures. lectures. Yeah. Um, and so they had asked word for word. George Saunders said he did not want to read. Normally they would interview an author and ask them to read their work. He didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So he said, can I have word for word do it? And so Ryan got hired and I'm like, who is this little white guy? And he was just so solid and wonderful. And everybody spoke so well of him. And I'm like, it amazes me every time I find out how many people there are that are happily making theater around the Bay Area. I don't have a clue. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's a small community, but yeah, there's, there's occasionally those people that you're like, I know they're out there. I've just missed working with them for years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and more and more, we um we interviewed um what's his name, John, Jonathan uh, Williams. Yeah. Is it Williams? And I always think of it as Reese, Jonathan Reese. Williams. Oh, Jonathan Reese yes, Williams. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. That's how. Have a theater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Reg kept saying John Williams. John Williams. We're interviewing John Williams. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I realized who he was. I looked it up and I went, oh, crap. And I, I've never met this man, but I've heard his name my whole time in Bay Area theater. Mm -hmm. So it's always wonderful to have these, to still find these connections. And so then when I found out that you and Ryan were together, I was like, well, damn, isn't this a small world? <laughs> yes. Yeah. People, actually, Ryan, it's interesting. Ryan had an online Zoom rehearsal with Word for Word last night. and oh, uh, with dear friends like uh, David Moore and, and uh, Gendel Hernandez. And, and then of course, the, the, the grand appearance by the children, like everyone's really in it to see the, like I think, Ryan, I think they hire you because they just want to see the little faces go boop, boop in the middle of the Zoom meeting. <laughs> it's cute. So I'm curious because, you know, we mentioned your children a little bit. Um, how, did you didn't grow up in a theater family, did you? No, 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 no. Although they like to claim a little theaterness. My father always talks about playing head of gobbler at his all boys school in, in Southern England. Um, <laughs> he loves to tell that story. And he always wanted to become my, my parents are, this is an interesting, weird little thing. Like people who grew up in the night who were like young adults and teenagers in the 1960s in England mm -hmm. are huge fans of American jazz because of, uh, because so many jazz musicians could not perform in America because of racism right. um, and segregated clubs, et cetera, they went to England and they performed and they became very famous there. And so my parents encountered jazz musicians, black jazz musicians in, in England. They're, they were very big fans of, of jazz, American jazz. And wow. um, they, they've, they've become very big in the music festival circuit. So my, my father's actually um, on the board of a big music festival and, and uh, yeah, they're big music fans. So we got a lot of music growing up and, and uh, we, we, um, we got, you know, some theater, as I mentioned, but they're, uh -huh. they're 
they're not, my dad always wanted to learn to tap dance because of, of um, American culture that he was exposed to. And he finally started taking tap dancing lessons at one point, which is great. He wow. learned at last. Um, I, I was I was a tap dancer as a kid too, so I always loved tap dancing. But uh, yeah, they they um, they just kind of let me. I mean, it's the 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 biggest blessing I got for them is just like the the sort of do what you want thing because they're scientists. You know, my dad's an engineer, uh-huh. and you know, it's a good thing that it's a good thing that he is or was. He's retired, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, he, that's what brought him to California to America. My mom right. is a chemist, um, uh-huh. and. Uh, it's a really good thing that my dad ended up in the in Silicon Valley in the field of engineering because he did not come from money, but he made money. Right. And him making money allowed me to do silly things like theater because yeah. they've always no, supported me. They've always uh, been like, well, go do that and we'll pay for it. Yeah, and I was just thinking Cupertino, especially in the 70s, that's where a lot of the scientists, especially computer scientists, sort of, oh, like, yeah. you know, Hewlett Packard and, you know, Steve Jobs told the story where he was a young kid and he did an internship, just a cold call. But a lot of a lot of the great scientific, uh, especially computer scientific achievements, happened in Cupertino. So yeah. yeah, I get the feeling your dad was around all that. He was around all that. He loves to tell the story about um, he was working. He had just graduated from college, and he was working at this firm in this this uh, I don't even I, I probably could say it wrong, but some kind of engineering company in England, mm-hmm. and they in those days they didn't each have a phone there was like a collective phone that whoever was walking past it would pick up and so he happened to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. when this major silicon valley startup of the time of the late 60s was recruiting Uh and he kind of looked around and went well i i i guess it's me (laughs) and so if any other guy had picked up the phone he might not have gotten the interview and the call and they and again my my dad grew up in very modest circumstances and so they were suddenly like flying him to America and looking for a house for him and agreeing wow. that, you know, of course his, his wife could come too. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a, I think it was, my parents are, are like many English people. They don't, they don't necessarily talk a lot about themselves, but they, <laughs> they, um, yeah, I imagine them in those days. I've seen their, they were, they were big time. They went into the full hippie thing in late sixties okay. in California. Wow. <laughs> they Man, saw a that... lot of music festivals. They went to a whole lot of music festivals. Do you have uh, siblings? I have a younger sister um, who's just, she's less than two years younger. So we're quite close. And she mm-hmm. lives in Orange County in oh. Laguna Beach. And she's got three kids, so. Involved in the arts at all? She, you know, it's interesting. She never did theater in the way that I did, but she always enjoyed it. She did a little bit of theater. Um, mm-hmm. And now she, she's actually recently, she, she's had various jobs. She worked for Disney Interactive for a while. Mm-hmm. And, She's done a lot of, of web work, sort of web startups, but she became the executive director of a small nonprofit that works in the educational sector in, in Orange County and Laguna Beach specifically. So, so she's, she's got, we're, we're both in this nonprofit thing right now, but this was, this was a new thing for her. She, I think right before this, she worked at a documentary film company uh-huh. on the website of things. Jeez. Um, and, and I, go ahead, Bridge. I'm sorry, I had a quick question, uh, Ms. Ennels. Um, do you enjoy directing more or do, are you, are you pretty much, you know, are you set for the artistic, you know, your, is it an administrative position that you basically have there or do you get to direct too? I get to direct. Um, I've directed six shows. I think it is now for Free Shakespeare in the Park. And I did some for our touring school tour before that. I, I you know, I have to remind myself sometimes because I, I like administration in some ways. I, I don't like it in some ways, you know, it's a good and a bad. Um, but I really, you know, I have to remember I'm first and I'm an artist and I'm a director first. Right. And, and that's where I really feel like at home. Um, 
working with Norman on As You Like It. And well, that, that was really that, And I always yeah. think that producers are, you know, you make a lot of artistic choices from the from that seat. Yeah. And so you're in communication with directors, you're in communication with designers. It's not just about how much money do we have for this. It's about how what is it that we want to create? And who do we want in the room? I mean, I think I, I, I will say that one of my greatest artistic achievements has been hiring Elizabeth Carter to direct King Lear. I mean, yeah. because she's awesome and amazing. And she was the exact right person for that project at the time. And, you know, I don't take any credit for the fact that she's that that good. I only take credit for the fact that I managed to persuade her to work with us <laughs> so well, and the uh, irony is it was before the shutdown right it was it was all back in october when we first started talking she and i talk about this a lot we like you know talk you know what's you know what's interesting? no 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 what what you uh, it's interesting because i remember especially a couple of years ago there have always been these competing shakespeare companies like the arabian shakespeare company and marin shakespeare company. Yeah. There shakes. was one there was one year where i think there were three productions of hamlet going on at the exact same Six. time <laughs> we yeah. also decided we had to do something about that like why aren't we talking to each other this goes back to totally what norman was saying at the beginning yeah the silver lining of covid is that we're actually talking to each other more. We have these weekly, bi-weekly artistic director meetings. I'm like, why haven't we been doing this all along? Like, we, we oh, like each yeah. other. Right. We like to support each other. <laughs> you're, you're familiar with the same talent pool. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we never met about these things. We finally, I mean, it also, it also took Eric Ting, um, who's an incredible community builder. Um, mm -hmm. It's just one of the, as far as it just, I don't know anyone else who's as good at it as he is. He really is good at connecting human beings. And he noticed all the Shakespeare companies when he showed up as new artistic director of CalShakes and went, do you guys talk to each other? We kind of do. But he was like, why don't we talk about how we don't all do the same show at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> why don't we think of ourselves as a season of Shakespeare and not like we're going to do what we want to do. But this is, this is the capitalistic competitive society that we've been told is normal, which is not the case, right? Like, I think what we're really looking at now is all these systems are being questioned, including the system that forces us to feel competitive with one another. Yeah. I do have an answer. Well, and that's, I, no, I'm sorry, ahead. it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, um, again, to, to talk about the summit idea, uh, that I knew that I couldn't say, hey, you know, I'm competing with you, so I want to get all your secrets so that I can figure out what I can do. You know, it seems to me like there's so much room for conversation that is not about that sort of level of things where you're, yes, you are competing for the same audience, but honestly, if somebody goes and sees your show and they have a good time and you're pointing to that other company, they're going to be more likely to go, wow, I want to see what's going on over there. Yeah, it's funny the times that the people who are less you know, no, not as much in the theater community will mention to me, oh, do you know, you know, I went and saw this play. Do you happen to know the, that theater company? And like, oh yeah, and I, my friend is in that show. And I've, yeah, totally, you know, <laughs> like, absolutely. We all know each other, it's great. Right, yeah, so people do. Um, to go back to Elizabeth though, um, mm -hmm. so you said this is a conversation you've been wanting to have for a while. Is that the typical, is, is there a typical way that you kind of look for a director? Well, I mean, it, it's, we haven't brought in a lot of outside directors and part of that is it is an additional you know cost to hire someone from the outside and there are right. some years where where it's just not a cost last year we we incurred a lot of costs hiring an out, outside composers so that was the choice and instead but it i always i never intended to be an artistic director who was the only person directing the show i, I never wanted mm -hmm. that to be the case so um and we have a company of resident artists and we were naming 
directors we wanted to work with. And we hadn't had a director of color direct on the main stage in, oh God, it's probably about 20 years. It'd been way too long. It was the mm -hmm. last had been, had been Hector Correa. Um, oh, right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a really long time. And then we'd had some directors of color doing the, the tour, but not, not doing free shakes. And, and that was, so it became a priority to particularly have a woman of color in that position directing, directing the show because it, it was time it was needed um, mm -hmm. it, that, that there's, there's so much about Shakespeare that is white and male because that was who it was written for. There was right. all white men. So, so in order to create Shakespeare that actually speaks to us in any kind of meaningful way, now we have to really mess with that. I'm a big believer in the fact that we got to pull out all of the problems and the issues and really tackle them because, because you know, Shakespeare's been used for highly nefarious purposes and we have to right. counteract that. Um, well, including a female leer. Yeah, I mean, and that was actually something that came up before Elizabeth was hired of the idea of like, we kind of like the idea of a female Lear. So many women who are brilliant Shakespeare actors get cut out of doing Shakespeare after age 40 because they just don't have the roles. Right. And that has been the case with Jessica Powell. People are like, where have you, where did you find Jessica Powell, our, our Lear? Like, she's been here. She's been here all along. She's been she playing has. these roles and she's been stuck in these tiny parts and she's a powerhouse and she deserves to be the lead. She, yeah. does, she can own a show and she's always been able to do that. That's not new. Oh, and she's owning she's it brilliantly. No, she's, so good. I've known Jessica for many, many years. And in fact, we were talking in a parking lot like two years ago um, for some little project, just a little, you know, outreach thing. And yeah, you know, don't know what's next. Don't know where we're going. And I was like, but she was still making the rounds. And I was like, good, because you're powerful. <laughs> Yeah, she is powerful. I, I'm, I've had a lot of hope that this is going to put her on the map in a in a different way. I mean, a lot of like I said, a lot of us did know her, but she's she's incredible. She's an absolute force of nature. In fact, it, it just the whole cast is so good. I mean, there's everything from the person that I just met during general auditions in December to Jessica, who I've known. For oh, years. Diana. Diana Lauren Diana Jones. Lawrence. We know Diana oh, Lauren Jones. Oh, yeah. she's such a talent. I, I'm oh, yeah. blessed, blessed to have met her. She, she blows me away. And Ron Chapman, who, I mean, he, this, this guy. Which one is he? Uh, which? He's Edmund. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's a, this is, he's, he's so, he's hardly done. I mean, his resume is, you know, he's done a few shows with African-American shakes. He's done a few other things, but he's, his talent in his, his brain. I mean, this is, he's so smart. And so he, he, he out nerds me in the um, Jacobean writers department. He came in and did an audition from Middleton. And I was like, okay, who are you? Because this is amazing. <laughs> 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 and I just went, I need to work with this guy. And then Elizabeth felt the same. And we were, you know, very, we were kind of like, he's, where has he been? He's been here again. He was doing some things, but he's, he's pretty young, but, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a blessing. They're, they're all great. I mean, just, I, I well, can just tell we should, stories about each we one. We should give a, um, a shout out also to your tech because yes. that, the, I don't know if you give away anything of how, what your blurb is for talking about Lear, but it is, if, if you think you're going to watch a Zoom show, it's not. <laughs> that is not what this is. That is, is not. So not what this is. That is Neil Ormond, our incredible technical director, and he takes all these camera feeds through this meeting that everyone's on backstage, a Zoom meeting that's run by Karen Schleifer, also incredible, mm -hmm. our stage manager. And all these feeds get fed into his big master three panel, you know, three monitor setup, and he layers the images of the actors in this very precise way using open broadcasting software. Uh -huh. um, 
and it looks like they're in the same room and people can't believe that they're not. And they're like, right. what is, how are you getting away with this? <laughs> We're like, they're not in the same room, we promise you. And then, uh, and, and yeah, he's, he's given it a, he, he's looking at a patent for his technique. So we're, oh, we are kind of holding off on giving a lot of details. I mean, I don't even understand the details, but he, he calls it unified virtual space. And he's looking at getting a patent, a patent so that he can, he and Elizabeth have been kind of like, this is, this is great. This is a new technique. What we're doing is completely new. Mm -hmm. We need a way to talk about it. We need a way to train people on it. We're actually going to be, um, on Monday morning, we're going to be part of a group called uh, the Producing in a Pandemic, which is organized by Calling Up Justice. And that's uh, Claudia Alec is, the, is oh. the director of that. And and that is a space where we feel like here's some up and comers from around the country who really want to know what we're doing. We're going to share a little bit with them. But but how to then also, we, we believe in the artists getting some compensation from the work mm -hmm. that they have put in, the incredible amount of work they put in. So we have to figure out how to monetize in yeah. a way that's fair and equitable. Yeah, no, that's exciting. I mean, you know, as from, you know, tech is sort of changing in the pandemic. We talk about actors making the adjustments, but also tech. I mean, tech. you have stage managers and yeah. lighting and sound operators, but now computer operators. I mean, Tabard is doing the same thing, but it sounds mm -hmm. like Shakespeare, you know, what you guys are doing, if this patent goes through, and I've used OBS before, but it sounds like your uh, guy is doing something really, really incredible. Merging. Oh, you have to see. You have to see it. Yeah. No, no, no. It's exciting. And it may be the new normal. I did have a quick question because we talked about yeah. um, um, companies sort of competing against one another instead of collaborating. Do you think gentrification, especially here in San Francisco, may have had to do something about that? You've talked about how you came in in 2000. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes and transitions yeah. from then to now. Do you think it's getting, obviously, it's getting harder making money can you talk mm -hmm. more about the business aspect of San Francisco Shakes, how you guys are surviving? Well, really, we, we, we rely a lot on both grants um, for the San Francisco we, Grants for the Arts and, um, and civic partnerships with the cities that bring us in, pay for the show. And then our other programs are paid, but we, we often get support from the NEA for our school tour. And then we do some education programs that folks pay for. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we are also reliant on that as many theaters are on that small pool of of the of the sort of upper tier of of wealthy folks around here um who really support the arts and and give a lot and and we we're grateful to them and you know we we also we have donors all down you know if you drop 10 bucks in the basket or five bucks in the basket at free shakespeare in the park you're a donor and you know we we're we're all about that so there's there's no no lar large amounts necessarily expected but uh yeah i think in terms of the city yeah, I, I, uh, you know, the, 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 the rent alone. I mean, it, it's, it's gotten crazy. I don't know how the pandemic, if it's going to equalize things a little bit. Kind of hope so, because it's, it has felt really ridiculous um, recently. My, my old apartment, um, when I gave it the lease, the, the, land, and I had rent protection, and the landlord quadrupled the rent, mm -hmm. and oh, that was, and, and, the, and got immediate takers from the tech right. industry. Oh, so, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's crazy. I, I. It's, it, it's, I love the city in a lot of ways and, and it's still, as many people say, it's not the city that I knew when I was growing up and, you know. Yeah. Hey, Norman, I had a question for you. Do you think yeah. that maybe the reason why <clears throat> the level of collaboration between theater companies isn't because there's not only the fight to get cut, to get audience members in, but also the fight to get donors in, like, you know, the, do you think that there's a bit of a competition going on <laughs> the companies joining together and saying, hey, listen, let's work together. So I, I, I don't think that's it. I think it's just a culture like the way Rebecca talked about Chicago. There's a culture. There's the way people see themselves. 
And so I spent a lot of time in my early career in San Francisco working with Thick Description. I came out of college working with Thick Description. I was thrilled about it. But they were a tiny little company that almost nobody knew about, except for people who were very theater savvy. And they were, I mean, I think part of these ideas that I have come partly from that experience because they had no problem with, oh my God, we're so blessed to have this actor who's in this other show in a big theater and they're going to be part of our show. There was never that sense of we do what we do and you do what you do. No, I, I just think, um, I think it, a lot of, I think the Bay Area has a lot of transients. You know, there's a lot of folks coming and going. And I think you land here and you're trying to, you know, get your feet and figure out what you're doing. And you don't, once you feel like you found someplace where you're a little bit grounded, you don't actually stop and look around and see what the rest of it is. I, 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 I don't think, for the most part, I don't think it's a competitive thing. I mean, Rebecca, you may have a different take on this. I'd be curious. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the, you know, are we competing for donors? And I think, you know, back to capitalism, I think that's, that is sometimes the issue of the feeling of like needing to compete for folks' money. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of it's a mindset that we can get over because I know it's perfectly possible for donors to support several, you know, a lot of organizations that they care about. And most do. If people have a philanthropic attitude, they tend to not just have that for one organization. Um, well, and you have your yeah. niche. So, I mean, like, even yeah. though you do Shakespeare, there's all the social justice and all these other aspects that are very much a part of the identity of San Francisco Shakespeare. Yeah. Definitely. So an audience sure. member who comes knows that's what they're going to get with that experience as opposed to going out to Livermore, where it's a very different vibe. You know, wonderful, still the same talent pool, but a very different yeah, vibe. Yeah, I mean, we're San Francisco Shakespeare for a reason, right? I mean, I looked back at pictures way, 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 way back before we were even known as San Francisco Shakespeare Festival. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's some of those values. Or even then, I think we, we have to live up to them. I don't think we always do. But right. there is that feeling of, of um, hey, we've, we want to, everyone's, everyone is included, everyone has access, um, and we want everyone to be in, in the space with us. So, and also Shakespeare, you know, <laughs> I got, we got an email recently saying, how dare you cast a woman as Lear? We have been supporters for years and we will not be seeing this. How disgusting of you. And I was like, um, bye, girl. Cause I got right. no use for that. You know I mean? It's just right. like, it's, I don't care. You don't like what we're doing. We don't like that. There we're changing pronouns and we're, we have, you know, a gay couples on stage and you know, we're and our cast looks the way it does people right. from all over. If you don't like that, you don't have to come. There's other places that are right. there for you. We had one donor pulled out and said, I'm going to just keep watching my old videos from the seventies from the RSC. And I was like, you, you do that. Ah. <laughs> you oh. just watch those old videos and, and we're fine. We don't need your money if you can't support what we're doing. Uh, well, we should probably start to wrap up, but I wonder if, and it's hard to, I know it's hard to prognosticate where we're going next, but do you, do you see a way forward? What's, what's the path that you're trying to, to forge into the future? I mean, I think we have a ton of work to do right now internally. Um, we, are, we are really working on the action plan in the, the BIPOC Actors Experience Living document and the We See You White American Theater. We have work to do. Um, so that's, that's going to be a big part of this coming year. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I look forward to finding some more creative digital technical, you know, tech solutions in the short term. We'll, we'll, we're going to keep playing with this work that we are doing with Lear. We've got another five weeks of Lear. Um, and then I, you know, a lot of things for me, I, I, I'm trying not to 
to try and predict too far ahead. I know there's going to be some decisions that we need to start making in November about what next year looks like. And I think there's mm -hmm. going to be some, some belt tightening unless some real right. know, angel investors come through and, and help and put us back in the park in the enormous, you know, enormous footprint that we've had, as you know, Norman, like the big stage and the big set and the, right. know, the big casts. We may be looking, if we are in person next year, it, I think it might look a little different. It might be leaner. It might be in partnership with, with um, other companies. I don't know. We're, we're still, oh. still trying to work out what that could mm -hmm. potentially look like to get us, get us back out there as soon as, as when we, you know, when, when it's safe. That's the other thing is really like right. when it's safe, we're not charging out there until actors equity feels, you know, gives us the contract and tells us what we need to do and we can do it. So and they just, and they just, who was telling me, somebody was telling me that they just pulled one. They were like, no, yeah, they you, did. You can't, it's not safe. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, Formerly Ubuntu, yeah, Oakland, um, Theater. Oakland Theater Project, um, was about to put up a show and they were like, mm, not in your area, not when you are mm -hmm. ground zero of Alameda County right now. <laughs> yeah, and we got to listen to that. And of course, you know, they did too and said, okay, we're going to postpone. So, but yeah, you do believe live theater will go on? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it is going on. This digital stuff, people, there was a whole lot of, is it really a theater going on in the beginning? mostly by male artistic directors of large companies. Um, right. And, and I, I, we, were, we were like, well, we're doing it. And we think it's theater. We really do. We think it's, it, Peter Quo called it video theater at one point. I like that description. Huh. It's what it is. That's it's live. Nice yeah, it's live. It's not film. Um, right. It's video theater. And it, is, it, it does have some of that communal experience. Not the same. We still like it better in person. But we can keep the, the community engaged and we can keep going with what we're doing now until it's safe and and so i'm not sitting here like pounding on the door going like let us outside let us outside let us let us in back in the theater let's back in the theater no we we're gonna we're gonna wait until it's the right thing to do and everyone feels safe and then maybe we're still gonna have a virtual thing for the folks who aren't gonna feel safe yet you know depending on the availability uh -huh. of vaccines so maybe we're gonna we're gonna keep our seniors in mind and our immune compromised folks in mind and make sure that they can come and they can see it in the way that they need to see it. So, so that's, I think that's to me, the future is really thinking about access and really thinking about the safety and health and, and who, who we need to, to be in that space. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's exciting because I mean, as just as a viewer, I mean, we're offering, I mean, every time we watch YouTube videos or videos from, I don't know, Netflix or whatever, it's content created by other people. Now we have theater. Not only do you have people within the community creating theater on stage pre-COVID-19, but now the theater is coming to, you know, your iPhones or your iPads or a Zoom stream or whatever. Oh, yeah. And it's rather exciting. I mean, as an actor, I'm like, wow, I actually, you know, I'm on video now. Now yeah. I can sort of show, I mean, I don't know, you know, as far as the restrictions and copyrights or, you know, who owns the access or whatever, but I can say, hey, I was on San Francisco Shakes. This is the Earl. This is the website. You can view it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something I could put on my portfolio. So I think this is a new, it's a new era. I, it's, yeah. it's interesting how in diversity, actors or creatives create new ways. It's just like what you were saying, Norman, you know, if you have a black box theater and you're like, oh my God, the constraints, the constraints. But as a director, you're like, okay, how do I work with the constraints and create mm -hmm. something new and interesting? We and like constraints. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it, makes it, it makes the decisions easier. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you, you have to think creatively, right? You just have to think about different ways. And that's, I mean, Neil and Elizabeth, that's, that's them. That's what they did. They said, we have all these constraints and how are we going to do this? And they did it incredibly. And yeah, it's, it's a 
it's in it's why I think why we kept feeling so engaged and fulfilled was the the ability to innovate and create and think in those ways and it kind of got us unstuck in and around what we always do you know that's and so that's a that's a gift that's valuable yeah you know, I love I love that um you know something like Shakespeare which people think of as this old thing is actually the vehicle for new thoughts new ways of talking new storytelling it's incredibly flexible Shakespeare it's very you know yeah, and, and and he's incredibly dead. Also, so I like to say, right. like he doesn't care what you do. Right, so his lawyer we all up calling. Tight? Yeah. Well, I mean, for a man who wrote for four hundred years, the words are still living and active. I mean, you know, his words still resonate. They do. And oh, and yeah. you, you, I mean, you know, for twenty years, you've kept SS Shakes. I mean, there are a lot of companies. I've been involved in a couple of companies that have died out because you know the the money ran out. But you've kept. SF Shakes afloat for 20 years and 20 years more and you're not burned out. It sounds like you're still enjoying yourself. I am. I'm enjoying myself. You know, I think I won't be here forever. It's, it, it's, I'd like to know what my second act might be. And, and, <laughs> uh, and I, I, you know, I, there are some, some people and no judgment who, who are like, I'm going to be 50 years at the same company. It's my, it's my home. It's where I am. And, and, right. and that's great for them. And I don't think that's necessarily me, but, oh. uh, but I, I look forward to, you know, my, I want to pass it on better than when I, you know, I, I want to make it, make sure that when I, when it is someone else's turn, that mm -hmm. it's a, a place that's welcoming and, and supportive of all. So, you know, that's part of the work now. Well, you're on track. It's, it's looking very good. I know we're getting at that time, so we should probably, you got any shout outs, Ridge? Uh, I do. I've got a couple of birthdays. So. Just you know. a couple. <laughs> well, ironically, I tell you, on Thursday, September the 3rd, I've got so many friends who were born. And I'm like, okay, what was happening? It was the 3rd of September. That day I'll only remember. Right, yes. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know the temptations, uh, you know, I'm an old, I'm an old stogie. Anyway, um, so uh, on Monday, uh, Carrie Ann Roscoe, we had her on. She is a fantastic actress. I've acted with her. As a matter of fact, we did a stream uh, th this year. Uh, it was a new work by um, the Playwright Center for San Francisco. In oh, any wow. case, uh, she, she's the one who was the psychologist as well uh -huh. as the actress. A great voice, great, great voice. Mm -hmm. uh, her, her birthday is on Monday. Also, a, uh, a friend of mine, David Brannon, he uh, and I graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts. He is a fantastic uh, painter, and he's been doing a lot of online uh, work. So his birthday is also Monday. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, one of our favorite uh, playwrights, Scott Munson, and we've had yep. Scott Munson on twice. And Scott and I, Scott is producing, this is uh, another shout out, but the Breck Project is still going on. Oh, great, yes. Where um, <clears throat> Scott Munson and Susan Evans are producing a group of uh, playwrights and writers like me, Scott Munson, and um, <clears throat> Christina Wren, and there's one other lady, I can't remember her name. But in any case, we're adapting Fear and Misery in the Third Reich in today's world, uh, in the age of Trump. And we're trying wow. to get it out. I think we'll have the video feed uh, probably a month, I'm sorry, a week before um, uh, the election day. But I'll, I'll be advertising more on it. Yay. But Scott Munson is uh, Tuesday, the first, so we want to mm -hmm. give him a shout out. And on the third, Joyce DeMonaco Huh, she is a fantastic uh, Korean actress. She mm -hmm. was in, we were talking about uh, Shakespeare, but um, she was in, um, I think it was Twelfth Night. Um, it was um, Generation Theater with um, Deborah Cortez and um, David Valair. Uh -huh. Anyway, so she she uh, she's a fantastic actress, and I think she's streaming something even right now. But in any case, uh -huh. her birthday is on the third. She's fantastic. 
also on Thursday, Sheila Veramonti Schultz. Uh, we brought her and her sister Anita on. Oh, right. Yes. And it was, and matter of fact, it was Sheila who won the Shelley Award for the show that I was in, um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown at the Town Hall Theater. Fantastic singer, fantastic actress. Also Thursday, uh, a guy you may know, Dorian Lockett. His birthday is Thursday. Yep. Oh, Dorian, he's so lovely. I just worked with him. We just did a shots last week. Ah, there you go. We got to get on. I want to get him on the A. Uh, also, uh, Christy Newsom. Christy Newsom. She's actually in Connecticut, but she and her husband Eli, they were a part of Ray of Light Theater way back mm. in two thousand and four. Uh, if you probably see a poster, uh, Fat Boy, and also Debbie Does Dallas the Musical, that is the picture of Christy uh, Newsom uh, before mm. she was married. And it was one of those great love stories where the two of them met on the stage of Bat Boy. Uh -huh. Christy had a boyfriend. Eli was already married. At the end of the production, they had both let go of their partners and they fell in love. And um, oh. um, they are still together, have two kids, and they're living a wonderful life. And they actually opened up a theater company in Connecticut. So oh, they nice. really, really well. On the fourth, Michael Vega, I believe I've acted with him. Um, he acts in Theater Rhino. And I oh. think I've worked with him at, with uh, Rave Light Theater as well. So his birthday mm -hmm. is on Friday. And Saturday, um, a week from now, Kathy Ferber, and she and I acted together in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Uh, she is a wonderful, I believe she's in her 60s, and we had her on the yay, and she talked wonderfully about her mother being a career actress and her meeting all sorts of luminaries from the past, from the golden age of television, Lucille Ball, and we had a wonderful time talking, and uh, that's, I forget what episode that is, but Kathy Ferber, mm -hmm. she has yet another birthday. Happy birthday, Kathy, and that's my list. <laughs> Okay. Um, I've got Daryl Ross, who you'll remember um, from when we did the Richard Wright Project. Uh, his birthday is today. Oh, uh, Daryl, yeah. Just, How's he doing? I don't know. Okay. We'll find yeah. out. I'll, you know, yeah. I'll make sure I tag him in this. Um, Nathaniel Justinano, who also goes by Nate or Natty. Um, amazing performer. He's one of these young... He, when I met him, he was a younger man who is just incredibly talented. And... Um, then I saw him, uh, Mara got to play for uh, We Players when they were doing the Scottish play at Fort Point, um, at, which is one of the coldest venues I've ever been to. But he was just so amazing as he kind of walked us through the play. And I knew him as sort of a goofball, you know, a dancer goofball type. And suddenly he was just a solid actor. It's like, wow. Uh, you got Scott. Erica Smith um, is somebody that uh, Oakland... Public Theater. I had known her before then, but I got to hire her for a play we did, and I'm spacing on the name of it right now, um, Finding Claire, about a uh, adoptee who goes to find her birth family. And the playwright hadn't written it as a mixed race thing, but I was like, well, it says the dad was some guy from like the West Indies or something, so <laughs> I'm going to make the main character, you know, mixed. And that was Erica, and she was so fantastic. And she's got, I believe, triplets i think they have three boys oh god uh linda tillery his birthday is this week uh, and if you don't know her she's amazing musical powerhouse in the bay area um and she was one of the people who helped create uh, black odyssey that was at cal shakes and was supposed That's to so be funny. i don't know did it actually make it to ashland or did it get suspended no no, it's been, it, 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 was, it was something that was going to open later in the season. So hopefully it'll be back when they're able to be back because it's such an incredible piece. Yeah. 
Uh, Susan Jane Harrison is an um, actress in the Bay Area. Um, I say actress, teacher, um, director, and she's written her own pieces. She's amazing. Joya Corey is also somebody from Finding Claire. I'd never noticed that before. These two actresses. Joya uh, does a lot of, um, teaches a lot of improv in the Bay Area. And so I was happy when I got to hire her for a, a very different type of role. Um, she played a cranky old lady. <laughs> And she didn't expect that. She she thought, oh, this is just, I'm just in, sitting in a wheelchair. And I'm like, no, you're the dominant force in this family. I need you to come with it. And she did. It was great. Jesse Franklin Charles Vaughn. What a name. Um, young man that I got to see at uh, Anton's Well. I think the play was called Dirty Butterfly. Um, wonderful, powerful young African-American actor. You said Joyce. You said Dorian. Uh, Daniel Holzman is a young man writer in the Bay Area. Ron Jones is one of those people whose name I've heard forever. I don't think we've ever gotten a chance to work together, but whenever I've seen him on stage, I've just been impressed. And my last one is Cameo Williams, who I got to hire for one of the first plays that Oakland Public Theater did was a play called Blackballing, which looked at the African-American experience through Negro the lens League, right? of... Hmm? The Negro League, right? Uh, it was um, four sports. So it was baseball, basketball, boxing, and football. Um, and... The playwright Kirby Hines took all of these facts that people don't necessarily know, unless you're a big sports fan, um, and squeezed them into these four vignettes where each of these, these guys don't know who they are or where they are. The, uh, the framing motif was four guys rowing in a boat um, as if they were Africans. And then they kept popping into each of the different sports and, you know, uh, all kinds of weird little quotes like the coach who very famously said, well, the reason that there are no um, African-American swimmers is they don't float. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, all kinds of stuff like that or the um, and it's funny if you talk to basketball people, I know nothing about sports. I hate sports. Um, but there was a season, a college season where none of the African-American athletes graduated. You know, of the top 10 schools, none of them graduated. Mm. And so, and people, this is very famous apparently. I didn't know any of this stuff. So it was just, it was a neat play. And Cameo was um, the back, he was the backboard of the basketball thing. He climbed down off of this ladder in a gold suit and just confronts this guy after he's been just swatting away every ball the kid's trying to, to shoot um, wonderfully. And it turns out he has spent his whole, you know, that was, geez, almost 20 years ago. And he has spent all this time uh, teaching basketball. <laughs> that was his thing. I'm like, you're an amazing actor. Please come back. But no. Anyway, that's my list. Those are my birthdays for the week. <laughs> right on. Um, Rebecca, did you enjoy yourself? I did. Thank you, guys. This is, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this and becoming a regular listener more often. Ah. This is a great show. Well, thank you. And thank you for kicking off our, um, it's, what's the? Uh, Bad Summit. Bad, Bay Area, Bay Area Directors. Yeah, we want to get the directors on because we want to know, you know, uh, how can we get a more collaborative effort among all of the Bay Area Theater companies to connect together, to share, to collaborate, to help all of us grow, especially in I, these days. Yeah, I'm hoping that, but, uh, but even if at the very least, I just want to hear all these different perspectives because I don't think people realize, like, for example, Robert, with Anton's Well, does stuff that nobody else does. And, you know, I want, that's who I'm trying to bring in, folks that can talk to us about what this scene is and how they, how they are a part of it. 
Yeah. So Rebecca, thank you for starting us off. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Reg and Norman. Thank you. Sure, no problem. Well, uh, many of you are listening to this on or looking at this on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, please subscribe, like, uh, give, us a, give us a thumbs up. Or if you are, you know, have issues with what we're doing, uh, let us know in the comments section. Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast app, you can listen to us on any app that you listen to your podcasts on. We're on Spotify. We're on the iTunes Music Store. Um, there's a little tab where you can click on to listen to podcasts. And uh, we're also on SoundCloud.com. You can go you download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? Rebecca, is there a place where people can reach you, reach out for you? I would say I want to just share the website for sfshakes.org. It's S-F-S-H-A-K-E-S.org. Um, it's where people can find a link to the to the free King Lear production. And uh, yeah, I can be reached through that as well. Um, I'm I'm sometimes on social media, but I'm I'm not a Twitter person. But I'm you can find me on Instagram and Facebook just with my name. So wait, but isn't there a Twitter for SF Shakes? There is. I think it is at SF Shakes, and we don't use it so much. We are much more no, active on at SF Shakes Fest on Instagram and on our Facebook page. That's nice. yeah. 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 yeah, and the show is tonight at 7 and tomorrow at 4? Tomorrow at 4. And then tomorrow we have a fun thing at 3 o'clock. You can come build sock puppets with one of our teaching artists at 3 on Zoom. You can find that event on our Facebook, on our uh, website. And I think it's on Facebook too right now. And that's free. Yeah. So like half an hour of sock puppet building. And then at 3.30 on YouTube, you can watch our green show when you'll see why we're building sock puppet puppets because Christian Haynes, very silly green show, has some sock puppet performing in it. It's just, it's really fun. So wow. um, tune in at 3.30. You can see the green show as well. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have a link. So King Lear, now can people watch, can people, should people go on sfshakes.org to check out King Lear? Yeah, you can link directly from there. It's, you can also hunt for us, San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, just hunt for it on YouTube. We have a, we have a site directly there if you're doing it from your TV um, or, like, or you can click through yeah. on your yeah. device. And we'll put a SF link, Shakes, we'll, so. we'll put a link in both on uh, YouTube and also on our uh, podcast feeds and also on Facebook because people should see it. And it's only, what, two days? After two days, it's gone, right? Oh, no, it's gone. Well, no, after live. this weekend, we actually have four more weeks. We go through September oh, 27th and oh, we actually yeah. have a Labor Day show. Oh, right Labor Day on, show right at on. four o'clock on Labor Day. We're just like regular Free Shakespeare in the Park, but when it's gone, it's gone. We are on an equity contract. It is live theater. We cannot release a recording later the way that some people have right. been doing. So you have to see it now. And I, I know that a lot of people are like, oh, it'll just be available later. No, it will not. You have to see it live. I saw, I saw somebody somebody with a message about that. Well, can I just look it up? It's like, no, it's live. If you don't see it live, you're nope. not seeing it. It's gone just, just when it's gone. Like, just like old TV that some of us may remember. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. And we'll have a link to that. We'll have a link to uh, the, the live, to uh, the feeds and all that stuff. Great. And as we always say, we've got we to find a better sign off. And we are out. Everybody have a good, wonderful weekend.